0: Episode 186, The Assyrian Invasion and the Siege of Lachish Sometimes prophecies are just so accurate they freak me out. Try this one. Micah 1.13 You who live in Lachish, harness fast horses to the chariot. You are where the sin of daughter Zion began, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore you will give parting gifts to Marashath Gath. The town of Achazib will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I will bring a conqueror against you who live in Marasha. The nobles of Israel will flee to Adullam. Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vulture, for they will go into exile." Something happens in Hezekiah's heart after he defeats the Philistines. He starts to give in to pride. He worships less. He gets more self-centered. He marvels at what he has done, not what God has done. As the engineering project comes to a successful end, he gloats in his successes, and combined with the mistreatment of his father, this I am speculating about, causes his health to plummet. Hezekiah falls deeply ill, just as they received the expected word of the invasion of Philistia by Assyria. Now we discussed pride many times before. It's the faith in one's own ability and taking credit for what is not yours. For elevating yourself over God, becoming self-important, self-centered, David fell for this, Solomon did as well. The devil was the first to do it. We have to be humble and meek before our God. The meek shall inherit the earth, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. Hezekiah became prideful in his high station, and he felt the effects quickly. The fascinating thing is that Hezekiah's name means Jehovah is my strength. God is my strength. And when Hezekiah was at his best, God was his strength. When Hezekiah was at his lowest, he was his strength. The power of the flesh only gets us so far. In the case of Hezekiah and his pride, he simply put his faith in his circumstances and what he achieved on his own, and when it all fell apart, he literally fell apart. When the Assyrians destroyed many of his cities and bad news came from everywhere, fear and anxiety, which Hezekiah was previously protected from in God's presence, came in like a flood consuming him. The power of his flesh became his weakness, and his immune system failed to work for him as he fell deathly ill. So on a personal level, I've wondered about Hezekiah's illness for years. All through the Old Testament, you can find cause and effect. Sin leads to judgment and death. Faithfulness to God, which leads to physical and spiritual success, blessing, favor, and honor. It's a practical workbook for life, the Old Testament. There are some exceptions, like Job, which challenge us, but in the end, They shouldn't be our examples for theology because Job ended up twice better off than when he started. Good always triumphs, and God is good, the devil is bad, and we can create a simple linear understanding during the Old Testament times of the goodness of kings in parallel with their people and their kingdoms. Another one of these exceptional cases like Job is Hezekiah and his illness. Yes, he gave in to pride, but that's it. He'll do something terrible later on with the the temple doors, which partially might explain some things, but I believe something else helps to explain Hezekiah's illness better. Pride, in a very short sense, is no invitation for an early death. Now, I don't think Hezekiah is even in his 40s, and he's doing amazing as a king, For a deathly illness to hit a godly king, there deserves more explanation or study. Now let's get to my speculation. So the Bible says he gave into pride, and this was part of his reason for his sickness. But I want to suggest another, Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. I am suggesting that Hezekiah dishonored his father and legally opened the door for this fulfillment of the second commandment to not occur. The only way out was prayer, and with Hezekiah confessing through the accounts in the Bible that he had pride, he, he was confessing he probably did this, and then also we'll find out later he prayed. By dishonoring his father he invited an early death, for the enemy is looking for all sorts of legal reasons for him to steal, kill, and destroy. And we know the devil wanted nothing more than to take out Hezekiah. Here's the commandment again Honor your father and mother, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Are you a man of woman of honor? please make this a priority in your life if you have god has promised you a long life if you haven't take hezekiah as your example and what to do as this account continues regarding promises such as this one you can track this specific promise through the bible and world history i've considered it a bit of a bible case study more likely than not it truly holds And Especially when it comes to assassinations, you know, like a person kills a family member to take the throne. What's that enormous percentage, like 80% likely, that they'll be assassinated? They definitely didn't honor. So those who honor their ancestors typically find they have a longer life. This can also be attributed more to the unhealthy effects of unforgiveness and hate that ages a person. A life in the flesh is worrisome to the body. It causes age and unhealthy fear in the mind. Honor doesn't mean you follow the previous path of a previous generational sinner, but honoring them in the right godly sense of, of identifying their godly attributes, what they're good at, being kind to them, um, do not curse them, um, and bless them regardless of uh, where they are in life and what they're doing, honor is so important. My ears perk up when I hear about someone in world history honoring their parents or ancestors. Since I have this kind of running Bible case study in my head, um, Winston Churchill is a good example. Um, he was horribly overweight. He was a chain smoker and drinker. Um, but there are specific cases, even written documentation, where he honored his father Um, who was a previous, uh, I think, cabinet member in the the government. Um, Winston Churchill lived into his 90s. He's a notable one, I remember, and there's so many others. Um, Honor your family. It's a commandment. If you have failed in this commandment, follow Hezekiah's example. More to follow on this. Now, Hezekiah is nearly on his deathbed, but he finds the strength to get around And the more reports he hear about the Assyrians, the worse he gets. The brutality, the death toll, the loss of huge portions of his army, civilians being hauled away to Assyria. The reported strength of the Assyrian army was a quarter of a million men. All organized, well-trained, experienced in warfare, full-time conscripted, boot-wearing soldiers. Fear accompanied their army as they terrorized and destroyed cities that resisted them. Ashdod was placed under siege with many of Hezekiah's best troops. An Egyptian army was in the field to confront the Assyrian menace. Hezekiah's health condition declined as um, the Assyrian army got further and further into the field. It physically impacted Hezekiah. His weakened state and the horrible news received daily just even impacted his mind as well made him vulnerable though previously refusing on a true alliance with egypt the egyptian ambassadors continued to show up in jerusalem in hezekiah's desperate state he entertained them more and more isaiah in a powerful prophetic moment prophesied to the egyptian ambassador and this is where we believe he starts his naked fast Isaiah 20, in the year that the supreme commander, sent by Sargon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it. At that time, the Lord spoke to Isaiah, son of Amos. He said, take off the sackcloth from your body and the sandals from your feet. And he did so going about stripped and barefoot. Then the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot for three years, as a sign and portent against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away, stripped and barefoot, the Egyptian captives and Cushite exiles, young and old, with buttocks bared to Egypt's shame. Those who trusted in Cush and boasted in Egypt will be dismayed and put to shame. In that day, the people will live on this coast. We'll say, see what has happened to those we relied on, those we fled to for help and deliverance from the king of Assyria. How then can we escape? Hezekiah listens to Isaiah, but still entertains the Egyptian ambassador, but apparently never truly signs an alliance with Egypt. But his heart is lured, and the soul ties are reaching for him. In the end, the radical fast of a naked Isaiah is, in the palace was probably enough to keep him from signing any formal alliance, which would have been a snare to him. Isaiah is officially naked for the next three years. If you're ever in a church and they want to do a fast, the Daniel one's good. Moses intense, Jesus fasts nearly impossible. There is the Esther fast, just don't do the Isaiah fast. It's naked. History records the Egyptians fielded a huge army and confronted the Assyrians near Ashdod, and the Egyptian force was soundly defeated. The defeat was so thorough Ashdod fell and the Assyrians turned towards the highlands and arose to Jerusalem. All of Hezekiah's gains in Philistia were removed from his governance, and Israel stood alone against Assyria. Now according to Assyrian histories, there was four campaigns of the Assyrian king, The first destroyed Samaria, the second was this wave, and according to their records, there was a third in direct consequence or years later, and the fourth was in the area of Babylon. The Egyptian army was soundly defeated with Assyria's greatest army ever put together. Since there is some debate on whether there is a time period between the second and third Assyrian attack, I'm going to merge the two because I just don't believe the Assyrian king would have pulled back after going so far and reading into Josephus' account, he actually combines the two. Why stop with all of Judah and not Jerusalem? And for the history's sake, the fourth wave of Assyrian attacks reclaims Babylon, which soon revolts from the Assyrian Empire. Now, the Assyrians approached the large city of Lachish during this time. One historical reference states 200,000 um, Judah citizens at this point were killed or hauled away to foreign lands prior to the army arriving at Lachish. Hezekiah must have been extremely concerned for his entire life and the remainder of the kingdom. All right, so let's park at the siege of Lachish. Lachish was Judah's second largest city at this time. It was very well fortified and built to withstand multi-year sieges. So we have many references in the Bible to the siege of Lachish. Um, Archaeology supports the siege of Lachish. There's even the Lachish relief found in the British Museum, um, which I confess, years ago when I was there, I actually walked right by it. um, Because, again, I was fascinated by that huge winged bull from Assyria again. Um, wish I took more time and recognized what I had walked by so years ago. So the city of Lachish was built on a quite a large hill, and archaeological evidence is abundant um, in Israel today on the region of the ancient city. The northern part of the hill is steeper than the north, southern side, and due to that, the gate is situated there. On top of the fact that the hill as of itself is quite high— The wall further makes the city hard to breach. Inside the city itself, there was a castle with significant walls. Due to the steepness of the northern side of Lachish, the Assyrian army attacked from the south, where the defenders situated themselves on the walls. The defenders threw stones, shot arrows at the advancing Assyrians. The Assyrians started shooting arrows and stones themselves, creating a skirmish between the two armies. Meanwhile, the Assyrian military engineers built a ramp to the east of the main gate where Assyrian and troops began engaging in close combat. The Assyrians brought siege engines to the ramp, and then they broke through the wall. At that point, the defenders could not hold the Assyrian army back, retreated and attempted to get away, and the rest is history. Remember that prophecy from Mike at the beginning of the episode? The one that was just way too accurate. Micah 1.13 You who live in Lachish, harness fast horses to the chariot. You are where the sin of daughter Zion began, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore, you will give parting gifts in Marashoth Gath. The town of Ekzeb, will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I will bring a conqueror against you who live in Marashah. The nobles of Israel will flee to Adullam. Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vulture, for they will go from you in exile. In the end, the city of Lachish was captured by the Assyrians. Its inhabitants led into captivity, and the leaders of Lachish tortured to death. Assyrian reliefs portray the siege of Lachish, clearly show battering rams attacking the vulnerable parts of the city. The British Museum has a superb set of relief carvings which depict the siege in great detail. It shows the Assyrian soldiers firing arrows and sling stones and approaching the walls of Lachish using mud brick ramps. The attackers shelter behind wicker shields and deploy battering rams. The walls and towers of Lachish are shown crowded with defenders shooting arrows, throwing rocks and torches on the heads of the attackers. The relief continues showing the looting of the city and defenders are shown being thrown over the ramparts, impaled, having horrible things happen. And them asking for mercy is really aggressive the way the Assyrians um, did their artwork of these scenes. This is where the king of Assyria parks his army after the battle. And he sends ahead to Jerusalem an advanced guard to demand surrender, as our story accelerates. To conclude this episode, a message to kings: God, the perfect scriptwriter, is telling an unbelievably awesome story with incredible detail. I just can't believe the power and depth of this story. Hezekiah and his hopelessness has a road map, though, in the prophecies. Of the fall of Lachish. This is what they're for. Prophecies provide us a roadmap and direction on how to pray. If Micah stated what would happen to Lachish, then Micah must have covered more detail on what should happen next, or an invitation to repentance in his prophecies. This is the key to prophecy as well. As hard as they can be to understand, keys to hope in the future are hidden within them. Judgment words are an invitation for repentance, and when we do repent, hidden within the complex judgment words are the keys to God's deliverance. The answer is always in the Word. You need an answer? Find it. You need hope? Find it in the Word. Whatever you need, it's there. Find it, it's in the Word, even in the hard-to-read-or-understand parts of the Bible. So since Micah lived in this time... He was probably hiding in Jerusalem with everyone else. In fact, Isaiah and him were probably hanging out together. There's a reference by Josephus that there was 12 friends of Isaiah in Jerusalem. Micah literally holds the hope that the king needs. The next section of the scrolls of Micah, or as we know it, would be chapter 2. It was potentially delivered by someone to the ailing king Hezekiah to make sure he read it again. Micah 2.12 I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Here lies Hezekiah's roadmap for the future. Okay, let's dissect it. I will gather you. Jerusalem was the safe last haven of all of Israel, basically. Gathering as a curd, like sheep in a pen. In fact, uh, the Assyrian chronicles even say something like a uh, Um, Hezekiah was like a bird in a cage. The place Jerusalem was thronging with refugees, which was horrible for siege warfare, by the way. Now what do you do with the rest? The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. The king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. First of all, Hezekiah needed to repent, and he's on the way. And we'll cover his repentance in the next episode. The one who breaks open the way will go before them. It's almost a riddle. And I've got to think all the prophets and the king and his advisors are chewing on these words. The king must pass before them. Well, the king can hardly get around and pass before anyone because he's sick. Now, he can't do this. But the Lord at their head is good. Hezekiah probably has a thousand ways to fulfill this but none of them with a correct fulfillment of the word. Hezekiah lays down at night tormented by some apparent cancerous boil polluting his body on a regular basis. The only consolation was his crying out to God in his heart and a strange word echoed by a prophet. They will break through the gate and go out, their king before them and the Lord at their head. Nothing really made sense, except the last line, the Lord was at their head. The king stayed up for hours, chewing on the most comforting aspect of all, the Lord was at their head. It turned into a prayer, Lord, if you are our head, go ahead of us and be a shield and be our rampart, defeat our enemies, heal me, Lord, and end this war. Show me in this kingdom the breakthrough in the heavens and the earth that we need. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page if you want to chat. Email us at Kings at gmail.com.